Good morning. It's great to be here with you. Uh, my name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor here. And um, uh, last week, we jumped into, started a series, all right, on the book of Romans. And so if you're a guest with us, uh, you, I, I think you came at a great time because we're starting into something that, that's um, pretty fun and it's going to carry us to the next several weeks. And we're, you're right at the very beginning of it. Um, the New Testament book of Romans, right? The New Testament is a portion in our Bible um, that tells the story of Jesus. It's God's new covenant with, with his people, the story of Jesus, and then onward. So that's the New Testament. The book of Romans is actually a letter that was written to the Christians in the city of Rome. And Paul wrote that letter in about 57 AD. So you're talking about 20, some 25 years after Jesus died and, and resurrected. Uh, Paul saw Jesus alive after he had died, as did um, Jesus' disciples and hundreds of other people. And so that eyewitness testimony of Jesus' resurrection is what fueled, actually it is the thing, that fueled the Jesus movement throughout the Roman world in the first century. It's what uh, fuels it now, still today. All right? So Paul writes this letter to the Romans. Okay, and I think it's important for us to, to remember, and if you were here last week, this will be a reminder. If not, let me catch you up on who our audience is. Who first received this letter? Okay, um, the first people to receive this letter were Christians in Rome, and now they didn't meet in the first century in church buildings, so what we've come to understand is that this letter is being sent to several house churches throughout the city. So there, whether there was five or a dozen or 20, we don't know, but there were pockets of believers, 20 or 30 people, maybe less, meeting in homes throughout the city of Rome. Believers gathering together, all right? Now, there is a strain happening in the churches in Rome at this time. Because you have two diff very different groups of people coming together under the banner of Jesus. You have the Roman Gentile Christians. Gentile is a word that just means not, not Jewish, all right? So you have the Roman Christians in the church, and you also have the Jewish Christians in the church. And what's happening, and we talked about this last week, is you have the strain in the church of these people coming from a position of power versus a position of privilege. The Romans believing culturally that, well, actually, they didn't just believe it. This was true. The Romans had power in the entire known world very proud of their empire. And so for the Romans, culturally speaking, to have status and public honor uh, was the most important thing. They didn't think they needed Jewish rules in order to follow Jesus because power was on their side, okay? And now the Jews, on the other hand, had privilege on their side. This is all perceived power and privilege, by the way, all right? The Jewish people had privilege on their side. They said, but we've been following, we've, our people have been following God for generations. We have the Old Testament and all of God's law. We have this heritage that connects us to a special relationship with God. So you Romans, yeah, you need to follow Jewish customs in order to know Jesus. So what you have is this, is this strain in the church, all right? And into, these two, into, into this conflict, Paul speaks a one central message. You're going to see it throughout the letter to the Romans, and that is the good news about Jesus. He calls it the gospel, but that's what it is. It's the good news about Jesus. That's it. Everything boils down to that name. He's the only one that matters. 
So Paul's letter to Rome, to the Roman Christians serves to deconstruct these worldviews of perceived power and perceived privilege and bring them under one name because at this point, they're missing something. We don't want to miss it 2,000 years later, so let's pay attention. They're missing unity amongst themselves. They're missing out on the mission that God has put them on to be a light to the world. And they're missing out on the freedom of grace. So Paul's going to deconstruct these worldviews to bring them back to the name of Jesus only. Okay? Now, we've encouraged you to be reading through the book of Romans. In fact, um, last week we gave you like a bookmark, and we'll make sure you get that here again, hopefully next week. To be reading through the book of Romans, whether it's in your Bible or you've got a, a great Bible app on your phone or your iPad. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have them at the hub. So on your way out, as you're leaving here today, on your right-hand side, you'll see the blue curtained area. There's Bibles sitting on that table. We would love for you to take one habit. It's yours. Because we want you to be reading through the book of Romans you really, at, it, at it, a simple pace, I'll give you this, is, is one chapter a week. One chapter a week uh, for the next several weeks. They're short chapters. Just to be reading through Romans, maybe discussing it with your family. If you're in a life group, you can discuss it in your life group with other people. But be reading through the book of Romans. It'll be really good for you to get to be familiar with it. So as we read through with a portion that we'll read through today, I want us to picture that setting that I talked about. You're in, you're in Rome in the first century, and you're in a house, you're in someone's home that most people obviously weren't very wealthy, so their homes are going to be quite small. So let's say, let's say you, you're, you're with 20 people. Paul has not yet visited Rome. He's sending a letter to be read to the Christians in Rome. And, he, and we find out in chapter 16, I read ahead, sorry, that Paul's going to send his um, proxy, his emissary, a Greek woman named Phoebe, He's going to send her to Rome with his letter. And conceivably, it's Phoebe, this Christian woman who was a leader in her local church, is going to read this letter or provide this letter to these house churches. So there's these Greek Christians, I'm sorry, Roman Christians and Jewish Christians gathered in these homes, and in walks Phoebe with this letter, and she says, this is from Paul. He's got something that he wants to share with you. So before we jump into what it is he shares with us today, um, I just want to pray for our time here this morning. So let's, let's pray. God, um, you gave us your word. You give us this book, this letter. Because you and in your infinite wisdom knew, Father, that there is truth in those words. That not only applies to White Oak's situation, that apply, but it applies to every man and woman, every, every kid, every family in this room, every household in this community. God, so we just pray for open eyes and ears and hearts, God, that your word would sink into us and speak its truth into our lives. Father, we ask you this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in chapter one, which we covered last week, at the end of chapter one, through chapter three, what you see is Paul is, is, is dealing with this. He, there's a lot of finger pointing going on in church, all right? Because in chapter 1, starting with verse 18, Paul starts to talk about what the Gentile Christians used to be like. Remember, these are pagan Roman Christians who just weeks before they came to know Jesus were sacrificing at, at the feet of idols and statues, okay? To this pantheon of Greek gods, and Roman gods, rather, all right? They were the same, but whatever. Um, 
all right? So, so they're very new. And what Paul starts to lay into in chapter one is let me tell you what you used to do, what you used to be like. And he starts laying in to these, these Gentile now believers and the lifestyle that they used to live before they came to know Jesus, right? And, and, and the Jewish Christians sit now in judgment of their Gentile brothers and sisters. The Jewish Christians, Christians sit back and say, because of your past or current pagan idolatry and situation, um, we're sitting in judgment of you. We're actually better than you, all right? And Paul seems to confirm that. In chapter 1, he starts just going on about the sin of the Romans. Now, then in chapter 2, there's this abrupt turnaround. And then he looks at the Jewish Christians and says, and who do you think you are? You aren't any better. Now, this happens to you a lot, especially if you're a parent, maybe a grandparent, right? If... um, my kids were to get in trouble, this doesn't happen, but if it were, this is hypothetical. If they were to get in trouble for, let's say, all three of them were fighting, okay? Um, and they're all fighting, and we finally have to just sit everybody down and say, listen. And then we turn to one of them, and we say, listen, you instigated. I can't believe you did this. Here's all the things that you did wrong. Here's what you should have done, but didn't. And you just start laying it out. You're, you're grounded for this amount of time. Now, what happens is you've got two other siblings that are sitting on the couch smirking, right? They're laughing kind of. They're not bold enough to actually laugh out loud, but they're like, get him, get him. Yes, yes. And he did that. And now sometimes there might be a, yeah, there might be a bold enough to actually verbalize, you know, like, get him. And, and now if you've ever been in that situation, you know that what comes next, and, it, and kids, that's a terrible time to gloat. Because a parent is already just like in, like, it, it's just not a good time. Okay. So what happens is you're laying into this one, and then you turn and you look at that one. And what do you say? What are you laughing at? Because as soon as I'm done with him, you're next, right? And it's like, and suddenly there's like, oh my gosh. So, so you kind of like strip away whatever advantage they thought they had. Okay, so that's what's happening here. The the Romans did this, and the Romans did that, and these pagan Gentiles used to do this, and the Jewish Christians are like, yeah, yeah, they're bad. They're bad. And then Paul says, and who do you think you are? You're just as bad. And so in chapter 2 and 3, Paul shifts. He's talking to, this letter is addressing a room full of of these both worldviews. But sometimes his voice will speak to the Romans. Sometimes his voice would point it at the Jewish Christians. Today, that's what we read. He's talking to the Jewish Christians in these churches. And this is our big idea today. I am not deserving. I am not deserving In other words, when it comes to my relationship before God, I have no advantage. I have no advantage. Because see, Paul is going to address the advantage, which which is kind of known as the advantage question in these first several chapters of Romans. The advantage question to the Jewish Christians, okay? The Jewish people had a special relationship with God. It went all the way back to to Abraham and the Old Testament, a couple thousand years before before Paul writes this letter. They have a long history. You see, the Jewish people, God chose them to reveal himself to them, 
to reveal to them his plan of salvation for the whole world. They would be the mouthpiece. They would be the, 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 the conduit. They would be the way in which the whole world would come to know his, his love and his salvation, right? Now, that was an advantage. They had an advantage in this special connection with God. And so with that, the Jewish Christians, the first question that the, the, the advantage question asks is, because of my past, because of who I am, because of what we've done, we are good here, right? That's the first question. Hey, is God, because of all these things, like, we're good. I'm good, right? That's the first question that the advantage question really, really asks. I've got this in. Everybody likes to have an in. Like, I lost my in at Starbucks, like, about a year ago, when all the baristas I had kissed up to long enough, um, they all quit and left, and so now I have to pay for my coffee every week, and it hurts, all right? Everybody likes to have an in. Everybody wants a friend who works at Flubs, right? Everybody wants to know somebody who works at Graders because it's nice to have the in. It's like I got a leg up on everybody else, right? And we're good because we've got this special relationship I can benefit. Now, the truth is, this is human nature, isn't it? To, to just go for and fight for some advantage, right? This is everywhere, all right, that as long as I've got an advantage over someone else, then we're good. I'm good. I'm better off, okay? I mean, I mean this is true in sports. This is like the, this is the reason sports exist, is to prove that you have an advantage, and you see it with like the NFL draft, right? It is, it is the purpose is to recruit and gain the freshest or best players, right, so that your team has a distinct advantage. You do this, some of you, in school, all right? If you were in school at some point, or maybe still are, you might be somebody who says, man, I'm going to get the best grades. I'm going to perform the best. I've got to kill it on the SAT exam because I want to have an advantage, right, over other people when it comes to the scholarship, when it comes to um, getting into college, when it comes to the best job. I'm going to fight for what? The advantage. This is in all of us, okay, at somewhere. Not all of you maybe care about that, but it's somewhere, all right? This happens in your job, in the corporate world or, uh, or elsewhere. Everybody wants that promotion, right? or that raise, or those, or, or that better out, those better hours. And so you, it's going to be cutthroat, can it? It can be cutthroat in order to kiss up to the boss, or find a way so that you have the advantage to get that thing that will put you ahead, all right? You've seen it. You see it every day, so do I. Um, get the better spot in, in a traffic jam situation. You've seen people do this, all right? Um, I'm crazy. I'm crazy when it comes to this. And, and, and actually, I'm actually more sick than crazy. Um, I, I, I love the scenario when the guy's trying to get the advantage in traffic, right? I mean, you're like bumper to bumper or it's heavy traffic and somebody's just zooming, 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 just trying to get ahead. One car ahead, right? And they got the advantage. They blow your doors off at 90 miles per hour. I love the scenario. This gives me joy, all right? When I, then you come to a red light and you look over Five minutes later, they're right there next to you. It's like, what did it get you? It got you nothing. Got you nothing. And then what's best is when a light turns green and you actually get ahead. You're like, sucker. You know, you're just like, um, I, I enjoy that. That brings me a lot of joy. Um, maybe that's not who you are, but I'm a very sick person and, and I need some help. 
like social media, right? I mean, that, that we're on that daily, many of us, right? And that's kind of like the entire point is to kind of show off the advantage that you kind of have on everybody else. Like my kids are cuter, my, nah, 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 you know, we have more fun than your family does. You know, it's, it's all in good fun, but, um, but it's real. I mean, that's there. Um, it, it happens in our relationships. We want to take advantage in the relationships, even with people that we love and care for. We want to have one leg up on them. So if you're married, maybe, and and your spouse, you're having like, maybe an argument, we'll call it a disagreement, and you think, I can prove that I'm right and you're wrong. Some of you are dumb enough to do that, right? And you will, and you'll be like, oh, like, here's the thing, and you'll prove that your wife was wrong and you're right because you think that gives you an advantage, but I would imagine we all know that it does not. But, but you want it, right? You want it. You, we think, that, well, that may, sex will give me an advantage. More money will get me where I want to be, like disrespecting my parents and breaking rules will get me the advantage of more freedom, right? Or drugs or, this, or, 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 or alcohol or drinking will get me this advantage of maybe more fun, maybe fitting in, right? As long as I can get the edge. This is everywhere, right? Our desire to gain, in fact, our desire to gain the advantage in life actually kind of affirms something that's actually deeper in our hearts. And you know what it is? It serves the purpose that says it's what we believe we deserve. Vying for the advantage in any area of your life actually affirms something that's really deeply rooted in all of our hearts because it serves what we think we deserve. And as long as we have some advantage working for us in our favor, it affirms I deserve something. I've worked hard. I deserve that raise. I deserve to, to have her as my girlfriend. I deserve that spot on the team. I deserve to have good kids like everybody else seems to have. I deserve to have my preferences met at church, at work, in my home. I deserve, I deserve that group of friends. I deserve good health. Like I don't des- I'm owed something. I'm owed something. Now, you probably know where I'm going with this because this happens to us in our faith as well. We approach our faith this way all the time. And what we believe is our advantage when it comes to our relationship with God, and wherever you are on the spectrum of faith or in your faith journey, um, this tends to be true about all of us, wherever you are on on that spectrum, all right? That we'll look for something that validates that we're okay with God that we're good. Now, for some of us, the advantage comes in um, with how we were raised. So, I mean, it comes with commitment and our definition of commitment. Come to church several weeks out of a month, right? Um, maybe bring our Bible with us. Maybe we're involved. Maybe, maybe we're in a life group. Maybe we serve, you know, in ministry someplace. And so we have this advantage of being a pretty good Christian. And all of those things that I do like, we're, we're good, right? Because this is good. This makes me good. Now, others of us, again, depending on where you are, kind of your, your journey, will say just kind of being affiliated with like a White Oak Christian church means that we're okay. That's an advantage to people who don't go to church at all. And so when you say, well, yeah, I go to White Oak. Doesn't matter how often you actually go. Doesn't matter like where your heart is necessarily. But just to have the affiliation is an advantage over other people, and so we're okay. 
Now, some of us, are, you know, uh, may not even really care about matters of faith too much. It's like, okay, it's whatever. It's just kind of a piece of th- something that I think about once in a while. Not much, okay? And for you, it's just a matter of being a good person. People will tell you you are, and you work at a decent, decently hard at being a good person. Because you know a lot of people who aren't good. You work with them. They're in your neighborhood. You're friends with them. They're on your team, at, you, you know, after school. And so, so you know a lot of people who aren't good, not as good as you. And so sometimes that's the measuring device is we're okay, God, because, like, I'm a good person, right? Some of us in teenagers, this, this could be you, but if, if you're not careful, this will actually be you when you're in the 20s and 30s and 40s and so on, too, is that your parents are believers, teenagers. Your parents go to church sometimes. Your parents have faith. Now, they don't do it perfectly, and you know that better than anyone, right, because you live with them, all right? But but sometimes we think the advantage in our relationship with God is just kind of inherited because, well, our parents are kind of Christians, and I guess they go to church, and so by, by default, I'm good too. And you don't need to own your faith. You don't need to serve. You don't really need to get to know God intimately because your household kind of does. Some of us have this advantage in our faith about just being further along than a lot of other people. Man, I've been a Christian for years. I believe better. I believe stronger. And if you're not familiar with some Christianese, let me share this one with you. This is Christian subculture language that if you're not involved in church for a long time, you may not know. It is um, the advantage of being deeper Anybody ever wanted to go deeper in their faith? I don't know what that means, okay? And I've been a pastor for 17 years. I do not know what deeper means. I know it needs to be deeper when you jump into a pool, but I don't know what it means to be deeper in your faith, and neither do anybody who says it, right? But, but, it, just is, but it, it gives us an advantage, doesn't it? Well, I am deeper in my faith than so-and-so, where I understand certain things and kind of gives me a leg up on this or that, Right? It's in our faith too, guys. It's how we approach God. If we have an advantage, then we're okay. We're okay. Romans 3, chapter 9, Paul says this. He says, well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we all have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. And as the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. So in the advantage questions where the Jews are saying, hey, man, we're okay, Paul says, no. No, you're not. No one has an advantage. You have not, he looks at these, I mean, this is what the letter is saying to these Jewish Christians. He says, no one has an advantage. You have nothing going for you. Not your religion, not your past, not your deeds. You've got nothing. And to the Jews, they did have an advantage. They were the conduit, right? We said that. When, when, when God came to the Jewish people and said, I want, I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to re- reveal to you my plan to save the whole world. And it's going to be through you that everyone will come to know me. They had the advantage. But then when sin entered the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, it nullified their advantage. It was taken away from them. And Paul is saying to these guys as this letter is being written, and maybe Phoebe's the one that gets to deliver the more than good news, is to say, you're no better than the 
former pagans that you're sitting next to. These Gentiles. These barbarians. When it comes to your relationship with God, see, the advantage question doesn't work because we don't have one. So the next question that the advantage question asks is, okay, 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 okay. I acknowledge that I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. Let's even say that, let's even use the word. I'm a sinner. But the advantage question then asks, as long as I'm doing it better than someone else, we're okay, right? So that's the next step. Okay, I'm not perfect, God, I, Nathan, I get it. But the, but the next one is, but, but at least I'm doing it better than somebody else I know, right? And you see this in our relationships. We see this how we judge other people, how we talk about other people, how we talk to other people, the way we look at them, maybe even when they walk through the doors here, like how could that person be here? You know, that kind of thing happens at every church. It's here too, right? We know that, right? But at least I'm better, right? It's in, it's in every relationship. It, it, it's how we think about people when we see them out on the weekends, when we compare our family to theirs, our job to theirs, maybe the things that we have, maybe how good we are at the sport that we play, well, at least I'm better than them. So what the Jews had was they knew God's law. They had practiced God's law. They had this special relationship with God. So in walk into these homes, these Roman Christians, Gentiles, and the Jewish Christians sat in judgment of them and said, but at least, I mean, they're both Christians, guys. But the Jews said, but at least I'm better than them. And that makes me okay with God, right? Now, Roman cultural influence had a say in this too. It wasn't just the Jews who, when it came to the relationship with God, thought that they had the leg up. Romans believed that their power and their influence, right, gave them a leg up above everybody else. All right, there was this, 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 um, this title called the Cursus Honorum, and it literally meant a path towards public honor. And Romans were, were steeped in this tradition of this path towards public honor, to be inflating oneself um, and your achievements and your advantages. So there's this quote from Caesar Augustus. Now, he was emperor of the Roman Empire at the time that Jesus was born, okay? And he writes in his famous writing, this is the title of the writing, it gives you an indication of, of this right away, the achievements of the deified Augustus, okay? This gives you any insight into this man, how he feels about himself, okay? He thinks he's God, all right? So listen to what he says. These are just some, some, some snippets here. It says, in my 19th year, on my own initiative, and at my own expense, I raised an army with which I set free the state. Okay, okay. This is like Facebook for like the first century. This is like, hey, look what I did, look what I accomplished, look how awesome I, I am, and look how cute my kids are. All right, listen, I, you, I know you think I hate Facebook. I'm on Facebook, all right? I don't, I don't hate it. I just, I just judge people on it, and it's terrible. It's terrible, all right? It's just terrible because, I, because it's all in us, you know what I mean? Because it's in me too, and that's why I feel the angst I do about, uh, about these things. All right, so anyway, this is another thing he says. I often waged war, civil and foreign, on earth and sea in the whole wide world, and as victor I spared all the citizens who sought pardon. Look how generous I am. Man, I'm powerful and generous. 
Twice I triumphed with an ovation, and three times I enjoyed triumph, and 21 times I was named emperor. On account of these things successfully done by me and through my officers, so he's a little bit of a shout out there, under my auspices, so he takes it back, on earth and sea, the Senate decreed 55 times that there should be sacrifices to the immortal gods. And I would add this one. Augustus is also saying, of which I am one, all right? Public honor, achievements, advantage. And I measure my advantage based on how good I am compared to someone else. But can you imagine where you've worked really hard for that spot on the team? And some of you athletes, or, or, or maybe you're a musician, and, and you've worked really hard, and the truth is you know that you're better than a lot of the other kids trying out. Let's be honest. And the coach come to you, comes to you and says, you don't, get the, you don't get that place. You don't get that spot. I'm giving it to someone else. The advantage is gone. No, you thought you had it. You thought you deserved it. You thought they were, you were better than him. It can happen at your work, too. It's happened to some of you. You worked hard. You showed up early. You've been there longer. And you were going for that promotion or that raise, and then someone else, your boss, comes and says, you didn't get it. It's not you. Like, what? Like, you thought if you would just give him sex or give her sex that the relationship would be stronger, that you would experience something better from it. But a few weeks later, he dumped you for someone else. So you, what you thought was your advantage it turned out not to be an advantage at all. So you thought that thing would bring you contentment and give you a leg up on your neighbors and your friends, but you're still miserable. You're still unhappy. You maybe still consider hurting yourself. And you prayed for a season, maybe, maybe you prayed for a season and, and you went to church just to show God that you meant it. But nothing changed about that scenario, that circumstance in your life. See, our problem, which Paul speaks into, is that we want the advantage in every area of our life, including our relationship with God. Because we think and hope that it will help us deserve our way to a place that says, I'm okay. But it doesn't. So Paul says this to the Jews concerning their Old Testament rules and their special relationship they had with God. It's in verse 19. It says, obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses, to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Now this is a slap in the face to these Jewish believers. He says, listen, I know you had this law which you perceived was your advantage in your relationship with God and over everyone else. But all those rules did was expose what is really true about your heart. You're really bad at keeping rules. That you can't earn your way. You have no advantage. And all the law did was prove that you've got nothing. You're lost. 
You are hopelessly lost spinning your wheels trying to gain some advantage before your creator because you have none. So the advantage question then asks, so are we okay? And Paul says, man, there's nobody that's okay. And then we think, okay, okay, well, but, but I'm like, we're kind of okay just as long as I'm better than th- these other people. And Paul says, no, you're just like those people. So the third question that the advantage question asks then, so what's left? So what do I have then? I've got nothing special. No advantage. There's no area in your life that you can't screw up, right? There's no area in your life, I don't care if it's sports or if it's education or if it's relationships, if it's marriage or it's parenting, that a ton of other people can't, as you perceive it, do it better than you. We really don't have much, do we? And many of us will spend a lifetime of faith or religion working for an advantage just to feel like we're okay instead of learning to trust the one. Learning to truly trust the one who gives us all the advantage that we ever need. And probably one of the greatest lines, and that's why some will say, some will say that the book of Romans is the greatest book in the New Testament. And I don't know if you feel comfortable saying that or believing that, and that's okay. But, it, but it's some say that for, for a very specific purpose. And one of those is coming up here in Romans 3.23, one of the most famous lines that Paul will write. He says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Listen, listen. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Verse 30. There is only one way to God. There's only one way. And he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Guys, it doesn't matter. No one has the advantage except this one advantage. And that is Jesus. That's what Paul is saying to these people in Rome. There's a new advantage. There's a brand new advantage that has nothing to do with your past, has nothing to do with your efforts, has nothing to do with you just trying to get a leg up on the next person. Because all of that's garbage. You have one advantage, and it is the faith that you place in Jesus because he and he alone makes you right with God. And the beautiful message about Romans is this, is that God's righteousness is only a gift. It's only a gift to those who realize that they don't deserve it. So we need to get to that place. So this is what we're going to do in our reflection time. This is what I want you to think on. I I would love for us, all of us, just as as a church family, 
to get to a place where we could say to God, and I'm going to give you a moment just to, to think on that, to, to maybe talk to God about this, where we could say the words, and I, and I don't care how long you've known Jesus or how long you've gone to church or if you're a leader or if you, I don't care. It doesn't matter because, because frankly, when it comes to your connection with God, he doesn't care either, right? Where all of us could say, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I've got nothing that puts me ahead of the person sitting next to me. I've got nothing that makes God smile at me a little bit more. I've got nothing. Because if we can get to that place, if you can pray that prayer, God, I don't deserve it, then, get this, then your heart, then my heart is open to a gift for only those who admit they don't deserve it you have no advantage. And then for, the, for those of us who know Jesus, or maybe those of us who would like to, can say for the first time this week, like the Jewish Christians who knew it, they were Christians after all, right? They were Christians. They held on to their Jewish rules, but, but they were Christians who knew it but they had not allowed their faith in Jesus, their trust in the Son of God, risen Son of God, to radically infiltrate their life. They believed it, but faith in Jesus needed to be more radically imposed in their life so that it could start producing in them this abundant life that God had called them to live. Radical faith and trust that's where we want to be. That's where I want to be. And here's, a, and here's an extra. Because as Paul's talking to these Jewish Christians, he's like, listen, I, I, I know you thought you had the advantage, and you have one, but it wasn't what you thought. Because your Roman neighbors and this entire city who's lost, when this faith and trust in Jesus radically starts transforming you, you will shine like a light to the pagans who don't know him. You, your faith will shine like a light to people who need to know the one name by which their lives could be changed forever, and that is Jesus. So shine for them. 